Welcome to Great Loop Radio, brought to you by America's Great Loop Cruisers Association. We're dedicated to sharing Great Loop information and inspiration with those actively cruising, planning for, or dreaming about a Great Loop adventure. I'm Kim Russo. I'm the director of AGLCA. Today, I am excited to welcome back Dave Fuller and add in Nan Ellen Fuller. Um, they are both directors uh, at the U.S. Coast Guard Auxiliary. Dave is the Director of Education, and Nan Ellen is about to assume the role of Director of Recreational Boating Safety Outreach. So uh, thrilled to have them both with us. Before we jump into the conversation, I do want to take a moment to recognize and thank our Admiral sponsors who support AGLCA at the highest level. They are Curtis Stokes & Associates, Passage Maker Trawler Fest, Skipper Bob Publications, and Waterway Guide Media. As always, we encourage our listeners and viewers to support these businesses that support the Great Loop. And with that out of the way, Dave and Anna Ellen Fuller, thank you for joining me today. Hey, good afternoon, or good, well, I'm not sure what time of day you're going to be watching this, but good day, <laughs> whatever time. Yeah, whatever time it is, is fine with us. And Nan Allen, congratulations. Um, I know in just a few days from now, you assume the role of Director of Recreational Boating Safety Outreach for the U.S. Coast Guard Auxiliary. So congratulations. Thank you very much. Looking forward to it. Yeah, why don't you just uh, real briefly tell us what that role entails? The RBS Outreach, uh, yeah. we basically uh, interface with our partners that are also in the industry of recreational boating safety and uh, work together and collaborate to try to improve uh, boating safety on the water. Yeah, well, I, again, congratulations on that position. And um, Dave, you've been with us before, but you are the current Director of Education for the U.S. Coast Guard Auxiliary, Auxiliary excuse me. Um, so obviously, two, yeah, <laughs> two wonderful people to have with us. They are also long-term members, and we thank you for that. Um, so today's topic is, really how to use the VHF radio effectively. And I find uh, myself included for people who don't regularly use the VHF in their previous voting, when they start the loop, it can be a little bit uh, intimidating to kind of know the right way to use it. And a lot of local voting, you really don't have as much opportunity. And we know we've got lots of brand new voters. So we get asked questions about this a lot um, and had a suggestion from a listener that we, you know, kind of go through some of the ways you're going to use the radio with actual examples. So we're thrilled to have the two of you so that you can play both parts of the roles on those different conversations on the VHF radio. Um, but before we kind of do that role play, if you will, uh, tell us about some of the keys to success in using the VHF radio successfully. Well, Kim, thank you um, for the introduction here. You know, VHF is, is only one method of communication you'll be using while you're on the loop. And I think it's one of the most important because it allows you to talk to not just one other boater, but multiple other boaters. Anybody that's within earshot and within receiving range of your radio will, will hear you talking. Uh, it's extremely uh, important for safety of navigation. Uh, actually, there's some navigation rules that, that talk about that. And I'll get into that when we get in a little bit later uh, into the conversation here. But um, it's, it can be used uh, uh, for a variety of reasons. Um, most of all, and what everybody has to remember is the FCC uh, is in charge of, of the uh, use of the marine VHF frequencies. And the, uh, the authorized use is primarily that of uh, safety. Uh, there's some other uses as well, and I'll get into that later. But it's a, it's a really important part 
of your total communications package. And knowing how to use it is really important uh, for your safety and uh, uh, also uh, for your your uh, ability to uh, move through the uh, loop uh, easier as you request lock openings and bridge openings and so forth like that. And we'll talk about that in just a minute. But it's important to remember, you know, that God gave us two ears and one mouth for a reason. And, you know, I learned that in ham radio a long time ago. Uh, listen before you begin speaking. So don't just jump on and start talking uh, because you might be interfering with somebody else's conversation. So so listen first uh, before you begin speaking. Yeah. And you stress that, you know, preparation and patience are keys here. But um, for a couple of the reasons you just mentioned, I think are why some people are intimidated um, by using the VHF. One that, yes, everybody within a certain distance can hear you. Uh, so people who are, you know, not real comfortable with public speaking may worry about making a mistake. Um, and also, as you just yep. said, you should listen first because you could be interfering with somebody else's conversation. So I think that's also a, a stressor for people who are not comfortable with it. So I love that, um, you know, you talk about preparation as one of the keys to success. And that's a lot of the reason we're doing this today and actually having you and Nan Ellen kind of go through what those conversations sound like so people can start to familiarize themselves and use that as a practice point. But let's go ahead. Um, you uh, in kind of our, our preparation for this conversation, you talked about some best practices. So um, go ahead and, and start. Yeah. I think the first one was having two VHF radios. Yeah, yeah. Every every prudent mariner should have at least two. And I recommend uh, at least one of those two radios be a handheld. Uh, if you want to have multiple handhelds, that's a good idea. If you want to have multiple, uh, what we call mobile radios, which are the ones that are kind of built into the boat, uh, that's also a good idea. Uh, just like in fire extinguishers, you can't have too many. Uh, I feel the same way on VHF radios. And the reason for that is because you're going to need to monitor more than one frequency at a time. And in the marine uh, bands, they're actually called channels. Um, all of the channels have been assigned uh, to a certain frequency that the FCC assigned. But you're going to be really listening to about three or four of them. And the two most common ones that you'll be using is 13 and 16. So starting off by telling you a little bit about 13. 13 is designated as the what's called bridge to bridge channel. And what that means is the command of one vessel to the command of the other vessel. So you're talking directly from one captain to the other one. Uh, and the same thing applies to when you're communicating on 13 to bridges and locks, you'll be talking from your command to their command. And uh, one of the nice things about channel 13 is your radio, uh, your high powered radio that's built into the boat is set to automatically switch to low power uh, when it's switched to that channel. And the reason for that is because, as I mentioned earlier, you know, when you talk on this, you're gonna be broadcasting over a fairly large area and the low power kind of makes that footprint a little smaller. Uh, you know, if you're talking to a bridge and there's another bridge that you're gonna have to talk to uh, two miles away, everybody at both bridges is gonna hear your conversation if you're on high power. So having that low power setting uh, and, and the radio does it automatically for you, you don't have to switch it. But I will tell you that every other channel can be switched to low power if you choose to do so, but you'll have to pull out the owner's manual and take a look and see how how that's accomplished. But uh, 
Um, the other channel that you're going to be using quite frequently, probably the most used one, would be channel 16, 16. And that is designated nationally as the hailing channel. And that's when you want to talk to another boat or a shore station. Uh, you don't know what much, uh, channel they're monitoring. Um, and, you know, the FCC set a rule out that says that anytime you're moving in your boat and you have the radio turned on, the navigation rules require, not suggest, but require that you monitor this channel. And um, so it's very helpful to have two radios, uh, one turned turn to 13 to do the close-in communications, the other to 16, and the 16 one would be the one you would uh, monitor to hear somebody trying to call you. So um, as a minimum, I'd recommend two. If you want to have more, that's, that's a good idea as well. Mm -hmm. And then um, what about, because, um, sorry, just a question about that. Um, as you, you're talking about having two, so you can monitor two different channels. What about the radios that will scan certain channels for you? Um, if you have one of those, would you still suggest having a second radio there at the helm with you? Yes, I do. And, and uh, I think one of, one of the things that happens, um, when you, depending on the radio that you have, how it how it monitors multiple channels. Some have what's called dual watch. Some have tri watch, which means they're capable of of watching, you know, two or three different frequencies, uh, including the one that you're on. And again, you'll have to pull out the owner's manual and see how to accomplish that because every radio has got a little different procedure for how to do it. But uh, to avoid confusion, what when when you call uh, out of uh, a call, and I'm going to get to this in a minute when we when we go through a call. Uh, if you're calling another boat and they have multiple radios on, they may not know which radio is squawking at them. And so as part of that conversation, you should include what channel you're calling on. Because what happens is when the when the radio, is scanning it it will stop on uh, when it picks up a call and then very quickly after that audio uh, goes away it'll start scanning again mm -hmm. and unless you're looking at the radio you're going to miss what channel that that call came in on so it's anybody's guess as to which which channel they're calling you on so making that a part of your uh, of your call i think is really an important uh, important best practice that you should mm -hmm. you should uh, get in that habit. Okay. And then um, some best practices you recommend regarding the handheld. Well, this may seem obvious, but uh, guilty, Your Honor, I've, I've done this before. <laughs> uh, not charging your handheld radio every night. And then you go, you go the next day to use it and you push the talk button and nothing happens. And Oh, no, I forgot to charge it up. So, you know, kind of put that on your checklist of stuff to do, you know, when you get into port or, you know, you put out the hook for the night, um, plug your handheld radio and get it charged up. So when you need it the most, it's ready to go. Uh, not There's not a whole lot of things more disappointing than a dead battery in your radio when you need to use it. Right. So, um, you know, I, I'm a big fan of, handheld radios because you can carry it wherever you need to go. If you need to go to another part of the boat or, uh, you know, if you need to go handle a line or whatever, you've got that radio contact 
right at your hand. You don't have to run back and forth from the helm to whatever task that you're doing at that particular time. Right. Um, you know, your your primary VHF radio is a is a 25 watt unit. Uh, the, that's the FCC maximum output that radio theoretically can output. You know, if you really get down to it, by the time you have some losses through the cable and the losses in the antenna, you know, the best setups are around 22, 23 watts. But in any case, they can reach, that radio can reach a lot further, uh, is capable of reaching a lot further than any handheld. And primarily that's due to the antenna heights of that, of that antenna and the efficiency of the antenna versus the little rubber duck antenna of the handheld. Um, you know, those handhelds are designed to be used for close-in work. Uh, your, your big VHF for, uh, antennas are, uh, you know, they're 6, 8, 10, 15 feet off the water. Mm -hmm. And that gives them uh, quite a bit more uh, of a horizon. A lot of people may not understand or know this, but part of the physics of radio and the frequencies uh, VHF frequencies fall into a, a series of frequencies that are line of sight, which means um, they'll go to the horizon, and then after they go over the horizon, they continue into outer space. So, you know, there's a little bit of bending as it goes over the horizon. Um, you know, you, you, it's, it's the horizon plus about 10% thereabouts. But generally, uh, the higher you can get that antenna, uh, the, the better, longer distance you can communicate. So, like, for example, when we crossed the Gulf of Mexico on the loop, you know, we were, I don't know, 60, 70 miles off offshore, and um, we heard the Coast Guard all night. They were looking for a sailboat, and they put out a marine assistance broadcast, and um, we heard them all night long. You know, every hour on the hour, they were, uh, they were looking for this sailboat, and the reason we could hear them is because they're on a very, very, very tall tower on shore. And that raises the horizon, you know, to the other boat. But uh, typically, you know, 10, 12 miles, um, maybe 15 at the most. But a handheld, you're going to be lucky to get five or six miles. Right. Okay. I want to make sure we leave time to go through some of the more frequent calls you would want to use on the loop. But for those who want to dive a little deeper into this, and everyone really should as they're preparing for the loop, what are a few of the good sources for information that people can turn to to do some more? Uh, studying and planning on their own? Well, I think the very best one, and one that you should have bookmarked already, if you haven't been there, go there, spend some time, look around. Coast Guard, the U.S. Coast Guard has a website called the NAV Center. If you do a search for it, uh, just do U.S. Coast Guard NAV Center, and I'm not going to give you all the, uh, all the, the letters and stuff for it, but you can do a search for it. That has an abundance of information, including everything, uh, everything that has to do with navigation. Uh, all the rules are there. The communication stuff is there. The, the charts with the phonetic alphabet and numbers are found there. Uh, they got a, a channel um, a chart there that gives the, the channel use of all of the USA channels. Um, and real quick note, some of the newest radios on the market um, may be designated in four-digit channel numbers. And that's a new numbering system that's coming around. Now, there's still a, a bazillion boats out there that's got the old two-channel uh, radios like, like uh, almost all the rest of us do. 
but the uh, the four digit numbers you you need to know what each one of those is and there's a chart there that that kind of gives you the conversion tells you which one is which okay. um mm -hmm. the uh the fcc as i said before regulates the the frequencies and sets the rules and as i said marine radio's authorized priority uh starts with safety of life so um the the Priority order of of communications, uh, meaning from the greatest priority to the least priority, you start out with distress, you know, the mayday calls, the urgency calls, and then safety communications. And then at the bottom of the authorized uses of service are other communications, which could be, you know, calling for a bridge opening, calling, you know, to see if you've got a slip at the marina and so forth. So all those other things are higher priority. And if you hear one of those calls, you need to cease what you're doing and pay attention to them. Yeah, absolutely. Um, okay. One, okay. one other, uh, I just want to mention one other one. Um, another reference is NOAA. Uh, that's the Office of the Coast Survey. And you'll have to search for that. Do a, If you just do a NOAA one, you're going to get weather service and everything else. But do NOAA Office of the Coast Survey. And that's got a tremendous amount of information. It has all your ENC charts, the ones you can download for free. Uh, it's also got something in it called the Coast Pilot. And people probably, most people have never seen the Coast Pilot. The Coast Pilot volumes are they're primarily written for commercial interests, but they do have a tremendous amount of information applicable to rec boaters, uh, recreational boaters. Um, and that would include the heights of the bridges, the radio channels monitored by the bridges and the locks and so forth, and a lot of other information. Um, it's important to note that they just cover the coastal areas and the Great Lakes, but they do not cover the inland rivers. So those are two really good resources. Perfect. Uh, definitely appreciate that. Um, let's take a quick break. We'll play a message from one of our sponsors. And when we come back, I want to dive right into some of the examples of the calls you will use the VHF for on the loop. So we'll be back in a moment. Cutterman Marine Services is a vessel relocation and delivery service owned and operated by retired and former members of the U.S. Coast Guard. They have crews ready to exceed your expectations wherever your vessel is located. In addition to relocation and delivery services, they offer a host of other marine services such as new owner training. Check out their website at www.cuttermanllc.com or call 855-65-BOATS. You have a lot invested in your boat. Why would you trust it to someone other than the Cutterman? Cutterman Marine Services, professional, knowledgeable, capable, experienced. We're back on Great Loop Radio. Today, our topic is effective use of the VHF radio on the Great Loop. My guests are Dave and Nan Ellen Fuller. Uh, Dave is the Director of Education for the Coast Guard Auxiliary, and Nan Ellen is about to assume the role of the Director of Recreational Boating Outreach for the Coast Guard Auxiliary. Um, so we are thrilled to have them both with us today. And uh, let's go ahead and jump in. One of the common uses of the VHF on the Great Loop beyond safety, which is its primary role, um, is contacting a bridge tender to request an opening. So walk us through how that works. Okay, Kim. Uh, well, I guess you start with the beginning. Uh, before you can communicate, you got to find out what channel are they on. So uh, most of the time you're going to be using channel 13, but depending on location, like for example, in Florida, uh, they use pretty much exclusively channel nine. 
other places they may, may use channel 14 or they may use some other channel. Um, but uh, again, channel 13 will, will be most likely the one you should probably start looking at that. So how do you know uh, which one? Um, you know, you can look, as I mentioned before, you know, the Coast Pilot, a lot of the guidebooks will give you that information. Um, and then the, the other place, and this is a lot less, um, you can't count on it quite as much, is there's, there's a signboards adjacent to most bridges. But in my experience, they're not always really readable because <laughs> of all of right. the slime and, mm -hmm. and bird doo-doo and everything else that happens to them. So, um, you know, try and do your homework ahead of time and, uh, and try and find out, you know, first of all, what's the name of the bridge? Uh, you know, what channel is it on? What's the clearances? You may find out that you can get under the bridge without even having to, uh, having to have it raised. So uh, know all that before you get there. The second thing is be prepared to remain in a holding pattern should that bridge be not uh, able to open quickly. Um, I, I recall one that I had particularly had trouble with, uh, downtown Jacksonville, Florida on the St. Johns River. Uh, unless you've got a four foot clearance, you're not gonna make it under the bridge. It's a railroad bridge. And there's been many times we tried to go past that bridge that we had to hold for over 30 minutes. And in a eight or 10 knot current, that's a big challenge and there's no place to anchor. So have a plan and uh, be, uh, be ready to practice defensive driving because you don't really know the skills of the other boaters waiting for the lock opening as well. Um, so once you're ready to approach the bridge and request the opening, um, now you know, you've got everything ready to go. You talk to your crew, you briefed them on their responsibilities. You know, check for clearance if you need to lower an antenna. Um, you know, whatever you need to do, you know, be prepared before you get there. So the call should go something like this. So I'll have Nan Ellen play the part of the boat and then I'll be the uh, bridge tender. So 45th Street Bridge, 45th Street Bridge, 45th Street Bridge. This is Recreational Vessel Wacky 3 downbound requesting an opening on channel 13. Over. All right, the word over is a pro word, which means you're expecting the other radio station to reply to you. You always start the call by identifying whom you're calling. It's a best practice to repeat the name of whom you want to reach three times. And the reason for that is because they may be distracted. They may not hear the call if only done once. And particularly if they're scanning several channels. You know, the, the, you're trying to get their attention, that particular uh, station's attention. Then you've identified the name of your boat and you stated that you're a recreational vessel, you're not commercial, that you're descending downstream in the river or southbound on the ICW on the East Coast, which tells them which direction you're approaching from. You want them to open the bridge and you're calling on channel 13. So you, you've given all the pertinent information in, a, in an easy to understand uh, manner. So their reply could sound something like this, and I'll be the 45th Street Bridge. Wacky three, just a few minutes over. So your reply should be. 45th Street Bridge, this is Wacky three. Roger, out. Roger is a pro word that acknowledges that you heard and understood the communication. 
patiently wait for the opening or additional radio communications. Frequently, you know, pearl words are not used in marine radio and some may not understand them, but, but they're there to enhance the understanding of expectations for continued radio conversation. You know, maybe you'll even start a new fad if you use them all the time in your radio communications. You know, I, I'm not sure that it's written anywhere, but as a courtesy, I always thank the tender or the lockmaster with a simple thank you as you pass under the bridge or proceed out of the lock. 45th Street Bridge, this is Wacky 3. Thanks for the opening. Out. And out is the pro word, meaning you're done speaking and you do not expect a response. Often the bridge tender or lockmaster will return good wishes, but it's not necessary to reply as you've already said out. And of course, if you can't reach them by radio, some bridges and locks, uh, telephone numbers are listed in the charts and the guidebooks. Whether they'll answer the phones, another matter. I can't, can't guarantee you they will at home. <laughs> of course, yep. Uh, one, one other thought is if you refer to the NAV rules, you will see that uh, under sound signals, you can do one prolonged blast and one short blast on your horn. And that indicates to the bridge tender that you're requesting an opening if you have to resort to sound signals. Perfect. And, and hopefully we don't need to do that. <laughs> but on the occasion that we do, that's why they're there. Um, and actually, um, probably another whole topic for another whole podcast, but those kind of date yes. back to before there were VHF radios um, and can still yes. be used effectively today. So um, let's stick with well, the, the topic we're on. Yeah. I'm sorry? The NAV rules say, not only say you can, they say you must. Right. Um, and, and that honestly is something we probably should cover in another in another podcast. Um, sticking with when we use the VHF, though, um, let's kind of run through the same thing. Um, and it's very similar. But if you are contacting a lock master to request uh, to be locked through. OK, I don't want to get too deep into this, but just as, a, as you prepare to go through a bridge, you've got to prepare and it's critical for preparing for locking. You know, before you ever get close to the lock, you have to set all the fenders you're going to need. You're going to prepare your lines. You're going to brief the crew for responsibilities. And that's a whole new podcast. Just a, you could do a podcast just on preparation for locking. Oh, absolutely. But, you know, the communications advice applies to, to you know, locks. The same ones apply to bridges. Know the name of the lock, the proper channel to call on. Um, you know, in places like the Tentom, uh, where there are several locks in close proximities, the lockmasters usually talk to one another, and your current lockmaster will tell the next lockmaster, you know, they got 10, 10 wreck boats or whatever, they'll tell them to kind of know what's to expect coming their way. And when we did the 10 Tom, they held up lockage several times, waiting for the, you know, kind of like a flock of ducks all coming in simultaneously. Mm -hmm. So, you know, there's two very important rules for locks. First, you're the lowest priority for the lockmaster if they have traffic waiting. Government vessels are first in order, and then commercial is second. Wreck boaters like us, we're at the bottom of the totem pole, and you might have to wait. Um, rarely will they mix in wreck boats with commercial boats, but they can do that if they have the permission of the commercial captain. Um, the second rule is you're coming into the lockmaster's house, and their rules are to be, their rules are to be followed regardless of your preferences. Um, and back to best practices, have your defenders deployed on both sides uh, and have the lines ready to deploy to either side. 
you know, you may decide, you may wish to tie up on your starboard, but the lockmaster may say tie up on port. And on a windy day, swirling winds at the bottom of the lock may blow you to the other side than where you intended. So kind of be prepared for plan B. And um, again, speaking from experience, that's happened to us more than once. So um, always follow the lockmaster's instructions or, you know, they're not going to go up or down until you comply. They're locked, they're rules. So one other thing that I think is really important, um, even though I don't know that it's a rule or not, if you don't wear your life jackets uh, on the on the rest of the trip, put them on when you go into the locks. And um, the uh, that just shows the lock master that you've got a very high regard for safety. And that is their number one concern above everything else. That they won't go up or down until they're sure that everything is safe. You know, we witnessed in the Tennessee River a 50-foot boat not under command um, doing a 360 in the lock with a person in the water, and it was no joke. Um, if this guy hadn't been wearing a life jacket, um, we we would have uh, we would have had a tragedy that day. But finally, another crew brought the boat under control, and and uh, you know just be courteous, um, you know, come in one at a time, exit the same way, proceed dead slow until you clear of the approach walls. Cause any, any waves at all you make reflect back on the next boat. So be courteous and patience. And again, I thank the lock master, but when you're uh, requesting the lockage, it shouldn't, it should sound something a little bit like this. Wilson lock, Wilson lock, Wilson lock. This is recreational vessel wacky three. Upbound requesting lockage on channel 13. Over. And again, you've you've called the name of the lock three times. You've identified your boat. You're a recreational boat, not a commercial. You're requesting upbound lockage. So you're coming upstream so he knows which direction you're coming from. And uh, you're calling him on channel 13. And you're requesting uh, additional radio traffic because you were used the pro word over. So the reply back from then could be, uh, wacky three, I'll have it open in just a few minutes. Stand by to enter. Over. Or they could just reply to go have lunch as I've got a couple hours of commercial traffic to lock through before it's your turn. So go find you a place to drop the hook and be patient. So, uh, you know, if the other station uses the pro word over, that means that they're expecting your, your uh, response from you. And your response could be something as simple as Roger or standing by, wacky three out. So that means that you understood what they, you know, by using the pro word over, or you're standing by waiting for more communications. You're identifying yourself as wacky three and you're saying out, which means you're not expecting any further conversation from them. And another best practice, anytime you're in the lock, in the lock with the lock master, Ask if they know about any traffic coming up for you at the next lock. So kind of help you maybe plan a little bit for delays. Because I'd much rather be drop the hook and, and casually wait until they call me on the radio instead of going around in circles. Yeah, absolutely. The next uh, lock and, and open. As you said, recreational vessels are the low man on the totem pole. So the, the waits can sometimes be long. Um, and it's much easier yep. to drop the hook than to continue to try and maneuver the boat in a somewhat confined space. So. Um, the other place on the rivers, especially that you're going to use that VHF, which is, you know, a safety, but also a courtesy concern is when you're contacting a tow captain um, and requesting to pass. So 
tell us how that all works, because I think that is uh, another place that people sometimes are, are uncertain about the best practices to do that. This, this is a really good one. This is the one you're going to use a lot more often than you think that you will. So all the commercial traffic will monitor channel 13, and they're also required, just like you are, to monitor 16. But I can tell you that they'll return your call much faster on 13 than they will on 16. So if you don't get them on 13, then switch to 16 and repeat the call. Um, this is a really good time to put a plug in for AIS. Those of you that don't have it, I highly recommend it. I'm not going to go into the detail and types of transponders, because again, that's another whole <laughs> podcast topic as well. But boats that have uh, AIS, um, which is most commercial boats and a whole lot of wreck boats, more and more wreck boats, recreation boats have, uh, um, you know, AIS installed and at least AIS received. But it gives several really important pieces of data and displays them on your chart plotter. First is the name of the boat, their position and latitude, longitude, and then where they are graphically, you know, on the chart plotter. It gives you their speed and their heading. Um, if they are a commercial version uh, AIS, they will give you additional information that really isn't pertinent to you, but it's interesting to know what destination, where they headed to, what kind of cargo are they carrying, and, and some other stuff. But once you know the name of the boat, because that's really the key here, it's, it's a very simple matter to initiate the call. So the call would sound something like this. Mary Sue, Mary Sue, Mary Sue, this is Wacky 3 approaching your stern, requesting passing instructions on channel 13. Over. And I'm the commercial vessel Mary Sue. Wacky 3, you can take me on the ones. Over. And then you'll repeat back. Mary Sue, taking you on the ones, out. All right, so I just kind of spoke in code. Most of you are probably saying, what the heck did he just say? So, but you're you're repeating back to the Mary Sue to confirm what you just heard. And this is really important because you want to make sure that you're you're both on the same page when it comes to which side to pass on. So you're going to hear a lot of terminology on the rivers of the ones and the twos. And this is kind of radio shorthand for the one whistle or the two whistles of intent that are required in navigation rules 32, 33, and 34. And those rules describe the actions that each vessel should take within sight of one another and relate to the sound signals required. On the radio, you accomplish the same thing with your intent and agreement of passing on the ones or the twos. So if you haven't looked at navigation rules 32, 33, and 34, I urge you to do so. So you kind of understand this a little bit better. So um, without knowing the name of the boat you're going to be meeting, you're, you'll need to identify the type of the boat, whether it's a tow and so forth, and its approximate location. So the call uh, for that might sound something like this. Upbound tow at mile marker 454. This is Wacky 3 approaching your stern, requesting passing instructions on channel 13. Over. Hopefully, when they call you back, they'll identify themselves so you can tell them by name. Uh, you know, you can call them by name in subsequent radio communications, but I keep a small notepad and pen at the helm just so I can write stuff down, uh, you know, and, and kind of keep notes as we go along. So let me try and explain what do the ones and the twos mean. The, the ones refer to your intent to leave the other boat on your port side. Effectively, this means you're going to be steering to the right 
and the overtaken vessel will be on your left. The twos just reverse this maneuver, meaning you intend to take the overtaken vessel on your starboard, meaning that you're going to steer left. An easy way to recall this rule, this is the way I teach it in classes, is to think of the hands on an analog clock. So, you know, we all do digital stuff, but all of us are probably old enough to remember that uh, uh, there are analog clocks. And if you look at the one o'clock position, it's just to the right of dead ahead at 12 o'clock. And 11 o'clock is just to the left of dead ahead. So if you add up the two ones in 11, you get twos for passing on the twos. So this mnemonic, it works the same whether you're meeting head on or overtaking from behind. You're telling the other boat which way you are turning to avoid them. So just kind of try that, you know, write it out on a, on a piece of paper, an analog clock, put 11, 11 o'clock and one o'clock and, and kind of be thinking about that, the ones and twos. It's, it's very easy to remember. Uh, and that is the terminology that you will hear when you're on the rivers. You know, part of your responsibility with the other boat, when the other boat communicates its navigation intentions via sound signals, is you must answer with a one toot or a two toot to, intent, uh, to indicate your agreement. If you disagree, it's five short blasts to indicate that you need to renegotiate. And you know how that may happen is there may be an obstruction not visible to you, but visible to the other captain. So if they agree and give you the same reply as your request, that means you're good to go. And by you can do the same thing by using radio communications instead of your horn but that satisfies your responsibility under the rules. You know, these commercial captains, they know every inch of these waters. And the bigger the boat and the longer the tow, the harder it is for them to maneuver, but they know exactly where they can go and exactly where they cannot. There are a lot of safe places for you out of their way. Um, you know, in the hierarchy of maneuverability, you have to stay out of their way as they are constrained by draft. That's in the NAV rules. But it's in your best interest and safety to, to negotiate every passing situation. And by using correct procedures on the radio, that raises your status to tolerable in the eyes of the captain of the other vessel. Because face it, most professional captains have some degree of disdain for recreational boaters until you show them the courtesy and professionalism by using proper procedures. And that starts by calling them by name since you have AIS to identify them. And then when you call them and ask them if they want you on the ones or the twos, you just went up several more notches on the respects scale. So treat them with courtesy and respect and they'll return it to you. Yeah, absolutely. And especially um, if you're out there right now where the water is low on the inland rivers, um, it's even more important because those, those toes have less maneuverability um, towards either side of the river because the water is, is just so low right now, but they also know where there's the most water for you to pass them. So make sure you are um, following their guidance because they really do, as Dave said, know every inch of that waterway. Um, so quickly, if we can, um, the last one we wanted to go through today is contacting a marina um, as you're approaching, you've got a reservation for the evening. Um, this one can sometimes be tricky because we, we find that it's a little bit more challenging than some of these other scenarios we've been through to get a response. So sometimes you will end up calling the marina on the phone, but let's assume that the marina um, is monitoring their VHF on the channel that you have found in their, um, you know, in their information, whether that's through one of your guidebooks or by checking their website or whatever it might be. 
let's run through the scenario of contacting a marina. Okay, Kim, the, the same procedure that we've done all along so far, you know, call them by name, um, you know, identify yourself, uh, ask them, where do you want me? And, um, you know, you've already, you know, found a, found them where they are on the, on the radio. But, you know, one of the things that's very important um, that if they give you a good doc assignment, they say, come into slip B6. Okay, well, that'd be helpful if I knew how to get to B6. So, you know, for more instructions, do I turn right? Do I turn left? You know, how many, how many docks over is, is dock B? And where is slip six? Is somebody going to be down there to watch me? But whatever they tell you, make absolutely dead flat certain that you parrot back exactly what they told you to do so there's no misunderstanding. You know, in Isla Mirada, my brain interpreted something different than what they told me. I, they told me to turn right at the second opening. My brain interpreted that as turning right at the second dock, and I promptly run aground in one foot of water. So parrot back what they tell you. Make yeah. sure that you have clear clear understanding. But um, And then always ask if there's any navigation issues that you need to be aware of before you approach their channel from the MARC channel. Uh, they may tell you, you know, favor red or green or whatever. But it's very important to understand that there's a difference between atons, that's aids to navigation that are maintained by the Coast Guard, and patons, which are private aids to navigation maintained by private owners such as marinas. Not always does this maintenance happen timely, so make sure you have local knowledge before transiting through those areas. And the other thing is not all marinas may have your viewpoint in mind. You know, they know where everything is and they have local knowledge, but you probably don't as this is probably your first visit. So uh, the good marinas are understanding and patient with you if you as you find your way to a slip. Don't be afraid to ask for it. Ask for local knowledge because it's critical for your safety and, and be sure to ask for it. Yeah. And, um, you know, it's it's just so important. I can't tell you local knowledge in any form is is critical to your safety. Yeah, and we we so, always um when, when trying to find our way to a slip before arriving at the marina, we always get kind of a Google Earth view of the marina to just have that perspective of coming in. Um, but we also search for a, a dock map basically, so we can get that visual of where the slip is. It just um, I am much more of a visual person, a visual learner, so being able to see where we're going as opposed to just hear from the marina where we're, we were going helps me tremendously. So for the other visual learners out there, that might be helpful. Um, yeah. anything else, Dave, uh, as we, you know, move towards wrapping up anything we overlooked when talking about the marinas? Well, I, th I think just kind of in closing, I just want to say that the Marine radio is, is a really a critical tool and it's, it's really your primary form of communications with other mariners, uh, and emergency services, you know, such as the Coast Guard, you know, learning to use it properly with the correct procedure. You'll be doing, if you do that, you'll be contributing to the safety of others as well as yourself and your crew. So make sure that you speak into the microphone about two to four inches away from your mouth. And for anybody that is kind of watching, um, I've got my ham radio here. You, it kind of looks something like this, about two to four inches away. It's about a 45 degree angle. And, um, you know, if you get up here and swallow the microphone, uh, you sound really kind of muffled. and uh, you know, if there's a lot of ambient noise, do your best to kind of shield it as much as possible because, you know, 
wind can can interfere with it. When you're trying, uh, when you're talking on a handheld, do your very best to keep that antenna in a vertical position. And the reason you do that is because that matches the polarization of all other VHF radios you want to reach. You know, if you turn it sideways, you incur a loss of distance um, and sometimes a complete loss of signal as the radio waves will now go up and down into the water and out into outer space instead of horizontally to the surface reaching other boaters. Um, learn those pro words, practice using them, learn the phonetic alphabet, and learn the numbers in the event that you need to spell out part of your message. But just like any other skill that we have, uh, practice makes perfect as it builds competence and that builds confidence. So be safe and have fun. Yeah, great advice, um, great information. And yes, the practice makes perfect. You can become comfortable with this before you ever leave the dock by practicing at home. Um, do what Dave and Nan Ellen just did with, you know, practice the interactions with each of you playing one of those roles to the point that it's comfortable and it'll just be a much easier adaptation when you get out there on the water. So um, Dave and Nan Ellen Fuller, both directors at the Coast Guard Auxiliary in their own rights. So thank you for sharing all of this detail with us today. We really appreciate you uh, giving us this knowledge and um, we hope you'll join us again soon. Thank you. Very well. Thank you, Kim. And thanks to everyone who's watched and listened today. We'll be back next week with another episode of Great Loop Radio. Until then, safe cruising. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, avoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.